Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Hello and welcome to The Last Wicket, a cricket podcast where we too are not done with leaving a legacy behind. I'm your host Benny and this week me and fellow co-host Mayank were joined by a returning Ananya Upendran who is the managing editor of Women's Cricket Zone and Laura Jolly, the women's cricket editor at Cricket Australia who was gracious enough to stick with us through some technical issues that we were facing. We talked about the recent tour of Australia by the Indian women and what it means for the trajectory of the two sides. We also discussed the participation of the Indian stars in the WBBL, the ongoing debate over five-day tests and the point structure, and much, much more. Stay tuned for a very interesting and insightful conversation. So I'm very excited to welcome our special guests today. Uh, first off, we have Ananya Upendran, who with this episode becomes our most frequent guest ever. So Ananya, welcome back to The Last Wicket. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that you haven't gotten bored of me yet. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> and uh, for the first time on our show, and hopefully not the last, uh, we have Laura Jolly. Uh, Laura, welcome to The Last Wicket. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's really exciting to chat to you guys. Yeah, and I, and I know that uh, right after this conversation, you're going to kind of jump into the WBBL and covering all the games. So uh, that's actually a great way to start off this conversation. Um, you know, from an Indian cricket fan perspective, um, it's exciting because there are going to be eight Indian players featuring in the upcoming edition. We have uh, Shafali Verma, Radha Yadav, Smriti Mandana, Deepti Sharma, Richa Ghosh, Jamima Rodriguez, and Harman Preet Kaur, uh, and, and Poonam Yadav. Uh, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on which player or players do you think um, is expected to have the biggest impact for their respective team? 
And which players do you think the Australian fans would be most excited to follow? I think Shefali Bem is the one that the fans are most excited to see just because she's so young and such a fearless talent and someone we right. haven't seen in the WBBL before. Um, so it's so exciting to have her down in Australia for this. Do you do you see any one of these players uh, from a cricketing perspective as well being uh, an important part of the, uh, the team's strategy or team's plan to win the trophy? Absolutely. I think all eight will be, um, particularly when you look at the Renegades, they're a team that desperately needs some batting depth and batting talent. So having Jamima and, and Harmon at that club is going to be huge for them. And same with the Sydney Thunder um, after losing Heather Knight and now with Rachel Haynes out for the season, getting um, Schmidt in there in particular is going to be huge for them. Ananya, wh who are you excited about? Um, well, I think it's, it's kind of similar. Um, I think uh, excited to see what Shafali Verma can do uh, in, in, in different conditions. I mean, she, she did I think she kind of exploded onto the scene in, in that T20 World Cup. Everyone kind of uh, you know stood up and, and took notice of, of this young kid who, who topped the run charts for India almost single-handedly. Um, you know, uh, took India into that final with a with a bit of help from the bowlers, but I think uh, she was she was the superstar that to emerge um, from that T20 World Cup, and so I think I'm I'm really keen to see how she goes in the WBBL. It is going to be her second experience in in a competition like this, um, having uh, experienced it in the hundred. She played under Ben Sawyer, so she she will know the coaching staff there, and um, I suppose will be a little more comfortable than she was in England. Um, she did say that she got a bit homesick towards the end of that uh, tournament. So, you know, this is a longer period away from home. Um, uh, I think six weeks it is. And, you know, so how she will go through that tournament is going to be interesting. She does have Radha Yadav, who's one of her best friends um, in that contingent as well. So, um, yeah, I'm really keen to see how she goes. Um, and, and like Laura said, I think Smriti Mandana is um, just because of who she is and where she's playing. She loves playing in Australia. Um, has done very, very well there and is coming off, uh, off a really good series. So I think um, just looking at that Sydney Thunder lineup, she's going to have to have a big tournament for them to, I suppose, really make a charge to defend their title. I, I think um, the one player I'm most curious about is Radha Yadav. Um, I've always watched her and especially in the T20s for India. And, and you know, she's been, I think she had a record of 27 consecutive innings where she took a wicket and she's a good fielder as well. So I, I've always saw, seen her, uh, you know, making an impact on the field, whether with the ball or, or just generally with their presence. Um, so I'm excited to see her, especially considering that she missed the recent India-Australia series. And um, I, the one thing that I wish the Indian team had done was given her more one day practice with the World Cup coming up. I think, I'm not sure, but maybe it could have been a good fit from a one day perspective as well. Well, let's, you know, we will have lots more opportunities to talk about the WBBL once it gets underway. Uh, but let's kind of like switch to really what we wanted to talk to you both about, uh, Ananya and Laura, about the recently concluded tour of Australia by the Indian women. Um, some exciting games. Um, and some interesting results is how I would call it. So I think I'll, I'll start off with the depth of this Australian team, which I, it's just incredibly scary. I mean, uh, Laura, you mentioned Rachel Haynes is, was abs uh, has been absent due to injury. And um, even Elise Perry was, you know, her fitness and form was somewhat of a concern. And whoever came in next, they just picked up like uh, they always belonged. 
Um, what are your thoughts? That, how does this team manage this? And what does it say about the, um, the structure that Australian cricket have, has created? Yeah, I think that was um, one of the most exciting parts of the series that as well as being just so close and so fiercely contested, um, Australia's depth was actually tested, which it hasn't been much the last few years with Healy and Mooney and Lanning and Perry dominating so much. And so to see someone like Talia McGrath step up and really take a chance in basically every game was super exciting and probably a testament to the pathways Australia have put in place with the WBBL and the WNCL, but also the fact they've had um, Australia A tours the last few years and they've been operating a national performance squad program which trains alongside the Australians in the winter when before COVID at least. So someone like Talia McGrath spent a lot of time in that group even when she wasn't in the Australian squad. So I think that's really helped prepare these players for when they are called upon at international level. And anything to add there? No, it's not really. I mean, we all kind of um, looking from the outside, everyone kind of envies Australia's depth. And well, they clearly produce these, these quality players because of the, of the structure they have in place. They have a really strong pathway system, as, as Laura mentioned. And they also have professional state cricketers, which I think is, is one of the major differences between a lot of these teams. England ha now have uh, 42 professional domestic cricketers, which will clearly um, help you know, close that gap or the jump between international and domestic cricket. Um, it's something that I feel like, you know, maybe is not possible in India, but I think Australia are kind of showing the way as to, to how to make um, that jump or how to make it less of a jump and, and make the transition a lot easier. I think that's something that South Africa is starting to do with more A programs. But um, yeah, Australia just, just, I think they have a very, very strong structure in place. And that's why it, it feels like they're going to continue to dominate the international women's circuit for a while. And I know the next ODI World Cup is just months away, um, early 2022. Um, you know, we have to talk about where these teams are in terms of preparation for that. Um, so the last time India actually played Australia in ODIs was when their recently finished streak started. Uh, and Australia won those three games very, very easily. Um, this time around, India won almost won two games, I can say. <laughs> but um, what do you think their progress has been in the last three years since March 2018? Um, what are your thoughts about that? Obviously, we had a COVID break, which is unfortunate, but um, thoughts on how India has shaped up? Um, well, I think that's interesting because I think we left the, the tour of England with, with a lot of questions about um, the bowling unit, especially the seam, seam contingent and um, you know, whether the, the batting uh, lineup that we had was suited to modern day um, white ball cricket. And um, it, it's funny that I feel like India came into this tour with, um, we don't have the best team, we're going to get whitewashed, we don't really have a chance. And then we're leaving the shores of Australia more um, with, oh, wow, this is this is a world leading side. Um, and I feel like we've kind of transferred from there to here very, very quickly. Um, I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon and say that, that we have the best pace bowling contingent India's ever had or, or that we have a lot of, um, you know, the, or we have some of the best young batters in the world. Um, I think India have, have shown a lot of improvement since 2018, um, just to kind of understand that they need to step up in terms of um, the rate at which they score, um, even just, just find, um, or I suppose, turn to younger players. Um, I think we've, we've sometimes kind of gone in circles um, picking the same 
um, same players. When you look at Poonam Raut, you think of Mona Mesham, think of Veda Krishnamurti. I think we went around in circles for a little while, um, not giving them a long enough rope or giving them too long a rope. And then maybe, you know, it, it was basically musical chairs with two or three players. So I feel like India have now kind of moved beyond that. Um, you know, they've looked at young domestic performers who've, who've played for India A, been been a part of those NCA camps and uh, a huge amount of improvement. Um, I'm, I'm just happy to see that that they gave some of the seamers um, who've been around the, in, in the domestic circuit for a while, some of the older seamers like Meghna Singh. I mean, she's not not a 17 year old we usually see India pick a, a lot of teenagers um, or, or like 20 21 year olds but um, it's nice to see people like Smeirana like uh, Meghna Singh being given a go uh, because you can see then that they're much more comfortable at international level so um, in terms of where India are going into that um, 2022 World Cup I feel like I'm sure they're much more confident than they were going into that tour of England simply because they they had some game time under their belt and they've also really pushed an Australian team that was under strength, yes, but I don't think many of us expected them to push them as close as they did. So um, there is still a reliance, I'd say, on someone like Julian Goswami uh, in that one-day team. Um, but I think we're finding more support bowlers. Um, and funnily enough, coming out of this series, I feel like I feel like that spin contingent is probably more of a question. Um, you know, how you know, do we, um, how effective is Poonam Yadav now? Have teams figured her out? Um, does she need to, I suppose, bring more into her armory? Uh, there are a lot of questions, but I feel like um, India left the shores of Australia a lot more confident than they came. Um, and um, they've also found a way to, I suppose, step up that run rate in the middle. They found some young attacking batters who I hope they give a long rope to. Um, someone like Yastika Bhatia, I think Richard Ghosh's inclusion in that one-day team is has really made them um, much more dynamic. I, I feel for Tanya Bhatia, but uh, I think Richa Ghosh has really shown that you do need uh, batters who can clear the rope um, at will lower down the middle order. So um, I'd say positive science, but um, there's still a lot more to, to work on. Absolutely. That, uh, I, I completely agree. I think it was very refreshing to see uh, you know, somebody batting at six and seven coming in straight away, striking the ball beautifully. Um, Laura, what about you? What are your thoughts about Australia with the World Cup coming up? Uh, would you say anything other than winning the World Cup would be a disappointment? Is that a fair statement or do you think that's too much pressure? I think the Australian team would say that. Um, they've just revolutionised their whole approach after being knocked out of that World Cup semi-final in 2017. And in the five years since this has been their one goal is winning that World Cup that they feel like they should have won in 2017, but as it turned out, didn't have the right approach or the right players. So to do anything but win that World Cup would be a huge, huge deal for the team. But I think this India series showed them that, you know, it's not going to be easy. It's They're going to have to really click. And it's probably raised a few questions for them because they really were humming as a one-day team, winning those 26 games in a row, rarely being challenged, but also the last two years really only playing New Zealand. So they didn't really know how they'd stack up against one of the top contenders like India. So that's definitely helped them. Uh, I think the form of someone like Talia McGrath has given them a few things to think about because when that team's at full strength, how do you fit her in? Even Sophie Molyneux bowled really well, but if Jess Jonathan is fit, you can't have both of them in the team without losing someone else. And 
So a few things for them to think about there. Um, I think they were really rusty after the six months off. They'd obviously been training a lot in their states, but for most of them, training indoors in lockdown and not getting out on turf or anything. So they'll be a lot better for a full summer of WBBL, WNCL and an Ashes come the World Cup. But I think they've also had a, had a bit of a wake-up call that, you know, they definitely need to look at how they're approaching their bowling in particular. There's a lot of extras in those one-dayers and if they're just throwing all that pace at a team, you can't, that's not necessarily going to get the job done. As we saw, it, it didn't against India. You've got to be a bit craftier. So, yeah, a lot to think about for Australia. So, Laura, I'm, I'm actually very curious about this part because, um, you know, for you kind of met, we've been kind of dancing around the fact that Australia are probably the favorites for the World Cup. Uh, but we do live in unusual times where there are a lot more challenges than just the cricketing challenges. You know, with uh, especially over the last couple of years, players have had to deal with, you know, the bubble life. And there's been a lot of chatter recently, especially with, you know, especially starting the men's ashes, whether it's going to go on or not. Uh, with all of the the rules in, uh, down under, um, I'm I'm just curious. What is how are the players themselves dealing with it? I know that we talked about the break, uh, but even with that, um, there's a lot of expectations on these players, and a lot of pressures that probably fans are not very familiar with. We probably know more on the men's side than we do on the women's side. Uh, but, you know, you know, everyone, all the players, uh, both men and women have to deal with time away from families and being, uh, you know, staying in isolation. Uh, how much of an impact do you think that this kind of filters down to the actual performances on the field? How are they coping with it? I think it's going to be a huge challenge, um, particularly for the the players who haven't been able to travel interstate through the winter, we've had a lot of lockdowns in Australia, um, but that was one of the reasons that all the top Australians pulled out of the 100 because they already knew right. that they were going to be on the road so much for this seven-month period from the India series through to the World Cup that they were very conscious of um, that time away from home, which I think has turned out to be a really smart decision because... With the border closures now, the WBBL is going to be played entirely on the road. Teams aren't going to be flying home in between matches the way they would have hoped to have if the borders had been open. And you look at right. someone like Ben Sawyer, the bowling coach, who obviously over in the 100, and he went to the 100 thinking he was going to be away from his family for five weeks, and he's going to be away from them for more than five months because he just hasn't been able to go home to Sydney at all. Um, and had to go straight to the Indus series and then straight to WBBL. So they definitely made the right choice there. Um, and then hopefully Australia opens up a bit more around Christmas and they don't have as much bubble life for the ashes and, and all of that, um, which is looking pretty good. That It's all scheduled to be in parts of Australia that should be open early next year. Let's, let's kind of go back into the recently concluded tour. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk after the test uh, about, you know, there were, you know, th this, this debate has been going on for a while, but again, after that, uh, the one-off test, there are, there are increased calls for five-day tests for women, and there are voices for both sides, um, and also over overhauling the point structure. 
And I'm curious to hear both your uh, both of your views on this. So we'll start with Ananya. Um, what is your take on the, the call for the five-day test? Uh, well, I'm, I'm all for five-day tests. I mean, as a viewer, um, it, it, you definitely want to watch, I suppose, a, 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 a game that was so um, interestingly poised. Um, you, you'd like to see a result in something like that. And uh, I, I mean, I, I've, since that game or since actually the game and the test in Bristol, I, I, I looked up a lot of statistics and, of course, um, Hypocost, um, all his tweets and um, you, you can see that the number of draws in women's cricket, especially with four day tests are, I mean, I think I forget the number, but it's a huge chunk, more than 70% of, of women's tests are draws simply because there's not enough time um, for the games to, to Peter or to, to get a result in. And um, I think um, there was something about the number of, I mean, it, it's literally like you, a session is rained out or you lose a session or a couple of sessions and it's almost like there's no chance for for a, for a team to to win or or actually for a result to happen aside from the draw and um i mean it, it it's also a format that these women don't play much of so right you know, they're, they're kind of figuring it out as they as they go along um in i think elise perry has played 10 tests in her career or something not even 10 tests i don't know um, but like you think of someone like Natali Raj, who's been around the circuit for over two decades and has played twelve tests. I mean that's ridiculous. So um, for 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 a kid to come in like Yastika Bhatia, who's playing test cricket for the first time, um, it's it's kind of figuring out how to play each session, you know, while she's doing it. So um, I think you know five day tests just gives you more of a chance of of finding a result or, or getting a result and. Um, yeah, I think just as a viewer, it's just much more, it will be much more fun to watch. Um, um, and, and there's less onus on, like, with the, with the game, with the recently concluded game, there was just so much of an onus on the captains to declare, um, to push the game forward. Um, you know, commentators were discussing how, they, how each team could potentially, uh, you know, uh, go through each session, how, what, at what rate they should score. And these are teams that, again, have never played test cricket. So they, they also don't want to lose. Um, you know, for India, it was a case of if we lose the test, we, we pretty much lose the series. Australia were ahead um, in the series, so they didn't need to push for a result. So um, if there were a fifth day, I'm sure there would have been a result and, and there would have been less chatter around. Or I think India would have gotten less flack for the way they, they approached the third, the fourth day, I think, or the third day, um, because you know they i think at that point it was more of we don't want to lose the series right now um so let's just play safe cricket and i think five day tests for the women will just mean more results even in i mean we saw that in bristol as well that it after after the way Sneerana kind of uh, pulled off that rear guard action it almost looked like i mean there would have been a result if there were a fifth day whether india had won or lost was immaterial but um it was just an interesting uh I suppose, as a viewer, it would have been fun to watch this day. Uh, yeah, I think the fans and, and the people watching definitely want five-day tests in Australia. Uh, as yeah. Nana said, you lose one session to rain and it's almost impossible to get a result. And people go on about, oh, but the women bowl more overs a day and over the course of the test, it's only 50 less overs or something. But you still lose the time and the time is what makes a difference. And we saw that in in Taunton two years ago and again here. So you definitely need to get a fifth day. 
and I think the Australian domestic setup shouldn't start playing multi-day cricket because these girls, they just, they get to a test match and they have to figure it out there because they, they don't experience it ever. And then people put all this pressure on them to say, oh, but you've got to make it entertaining if you want to have more test matches. How are they meant to do that if they don't get to practice? Right. And putting the onus purely on them to go out and do something they're not prepared to do totally ignores the fact that the whole structure is geared against test cricket because the administrators didn't want it. So you've, well, if they want to have these aggressive, exciting test matches, you have to have the structures around the players to get them ready for it and you have to have them playing more of them. Yeah, I think I, I would completely agree with Laura. I think I read an article which said Smriti Mandana got used to the ping ball in two practice sessions. And, and for an international batsman who's been around the scene for so long to get that much practice, it's that just sounds ridiculous. And and you know, to be expected to do well. And she did amazingly, to be honest. But but even then, like to have that expectation from an international batter, it's it's just not um, it's just not right because you know that's just uh that's just you you need practice. You need practice in the same settings and all of that. So I think that's very, very true. But the other aspect I feel like there's something to learn from the men's game is in the last three to five years, the men's game has seen really, really bowler-friendly pitches. And that has made test cricket extremely exciting. I, I know so many people who would never really pay attention and they're all watching because we have all these tests that don't even, they finish in three days, they finish in four days, but at no point is it you know one-sided. The bowler is always in the game. And I think that is definitely something to consider um, apart from you know obviously setting up the structures domestically in, in these various countries. I think that is definitely something to consider because once we have that, once we have an interesting game, a lot more results, we'll see a lot more people turn in. And, and the whole question about, you know, the women's test not being commercially viable, that, that equation might just completely change. So I think that is should not be something that's forgotten and, and definitely should be among considerations by, by the various boards. And uh, Ananya, you, you, I'm very curious about, you, you kind of talked about, you know, how, um, at least for India, when it came to the test match, they had to push for the win and Australia could kind of step back because they didn't really have to push as hard because it all came down to the points. This is something that I've always been very curious about because, again, I'm not, I only started following women's cricket only a, a couple of years ago. Um, can you explain what this, how this point structure is set up? Why was it set up this way? And does it need overhaul? Well, I, I think Laura can can answer that better because Australia and England were the first to, to start playing that the multi-format series. So. Oh, um, yeah, it's a tough one. They started off with six points for the test and then they had a, an Ashes series where Australia won more matches overall, but England won the Ashes because they got they won the test and had more points from that. So that sort of caused a bit of a stink. They're saying, you know, if you if you win more matches in a series, surely you should win the series. So that's when they brought it down to four points for the test and two points for the other formats. It just seems like such a circular argument that happens every time though, because then watching this match, you've got people saying, oh, maybe they should all be worth two points. So there's not so much onus placed on the test. But then you've equally got people going, oh, why isn't the test worth six points? that would help solve things. And then it turns into this discussion about, oh, maybe you should get bonus points for winning the first innings of the test. And 
the whole point is that it's already really confusing for fans. Uh, do we even need the point system anymore uh, to cover all the different formats in a series? Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, part of it is making it a one series all formats thing to tie it all in together and have an overall winner, which kind of gives a bit of relevance to a one-off test. Um, they saw that as a way of bringing women's tests back into the game because they were dying out so much and it has kept them alive in the in the ashes across the past 10 years having this multi-format point system. But, yeah, it is, it is a tricky one because it seems like no matter what system you've got in place, people aren't happy with it and it's causing problems. Well, yeah, like, I mean, like Laura said, I think it's an interesting one and you're probably going to go around in circles um, arguing it because... Um, at, at the end of the day, not everyone's ever going to be happy with it. But I kind of, um, I, I like the idea of maybe, um, you know, awarding points to, to someone who gets the first innings lead like they do in, in Randy Trophy Cricket. Um, it just feels like, you know, at, at least then there, there's a way for one of the teams to get ahead in the test because um, otherwise it's, I don't know if... Uh, you know, you're not forcing teams to push for a result because like in, in this case, you'd rather not lose the test and, and get too far behind in the series. Um, so, you know, maybe if you if you, if you you award points for the first inning lead, um, you know, teams will at least be more aggressive in the first inning. But I don't know. I, again, it, it goes back to the fact that these women don't play too much test cricket. There's, there is no domestic uh, system where like work the women currently play red ball cricket so um I, I feel like it's a bit too much pressure um to put on them to say um you know you have to play aggressively to make these tests more uh, more commercially viable etc but as far as the point system goes i mean i think it's interesting that you said do we need a point system um but i guess the points give the entire series like laura said a bit of relevance and say you know that that's the only way i suppose you can hand out a trophy because what happens if, if you draw the test one of the teams wins the ODI series, the other team wins wins the T20I series. What do you do then? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure about this whole test, the, the points for the test argument. Uh, I'm, I'm not convinced that it should be, the, the, the number of points should be downgraded to two because then, you know, this whole concept of, oh, test cricket is, is the, you know, is the greatest format and, and this is what we want to play. And, you know, when Shikha Pandey goes around saying, my, my father told me that if I don't play test cricket, I'm not a real cricketer. Um, <laughs> you know, if you're giving that format two points, it's not quite fair. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like it's a discussion that um, Matthew Mott himself said that you kind of need to have, maybe figure out um, what works best. But I, I think right now, if it's if we're going to continue with four-day tests, then maybe the first innings lead um, should get some points. You know, um, can I just say that first of all, from for, especially for Indian women, uh, if a dad can talk about you're 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 not re a real cricketer till you play test cricket is a, a a much bigger improvement you know from fathers not allowing their girls to play cricket so you know what we'll take that that's okay <laughs> um, but let's jump from test to t20s um, and again this is another one of those debates that pops up uh, in a frequent manner um, the women's IPL or the the non-existent women's IPL um, you know we just had. Uh, the men's IPL just 
and earlier today, and I'm still on a high because I'm a CSK fan. Uh, but we have to talk about the women's IPL, or when is this is this going to happen? You know, recently, um, you know, former BCCI admin uh, Sabah Karim stated that the focus is is on improving the domestic structure first, and only then um, can the T20 challenge be expanded to a five to sixteen women's IPL. So, Ananya, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, to know my thoughts, please go back and read my Twitter rant from I don't know March this year. Um, but uh, look, uh, I think when the women's IPL should have started, it should have started a few years ago. Um, I think, again, uh, this comes down to, I don't know, what do you mean by we want to improve the domestic structure? Are you, it, does that, are we going to go down the, the route that South Africa have where they have emerging series, whether the A-team tours different countries, is that something that we're going to do? Um, I'm not sure, but I feel like a, a women's IPL um, should be started if possible next year, um, because we, we do have the talent. I mean, you look at this Australia series, a lot of the girls who were involved in it, people didn't know about. I'm Meghna Singh, Yasika Bhatia, Renuka Thakur, um, you think, think of Richa Ghosh. Um, a lot of these, these women, um, you know, have, have kind of been pulled out of obscurity, if you can say, I mean, because they weren't previously involved in, in um, even the Women's T20 Challenge. I know Richard Ghosh has been around for a year, but even she was kind of pulled into that T20 team out of nowhere. Um, so there is clearly a lot of talent. And uh, the thing for me is domestic cricket is not finishing school. Um, finishing school is, you know, either those A tours or emerging tours, or you have a women's IPL, which will then expose a larger number of women to to these more professional systems, because I think the domestic structure or the domestic system in India, I mean, there, there are 32, 34 teams, um, maybe even more, um, but there are so many teams that you can't potentially have all of them contracted. I think it's, it's kind of very difficult to contract that many number of teams. Um, so a quick fix would, would be to have a women's IPL where you're, where you're sure that say 45, 50, maybe 100 young women are involved in that tournament. Um, and because having played in the domestic system, it's you train for 10 months to play for six weeks. Um, and um, with an IPL, it, can, it could potentially solve a lot of problems where you have much more game time, have exposure to better coaches. Um, you know, you're, you're able to interact with much more um, experienced, accomplished players. Um, and it's just, I, I feel like this, this should have been done a long time ago. Uh, I, I, I think alongside that, you can have A tours. And I think the other thing is um, when, when people say that we need to focus on the domestic structure before we, we start a women's IPL, uh, I think it's ironic that we're saying that because you're clearly comparing what could be the first season of a women's IPL to the 14th or 13th season of a men's IPL. You, um, well, we should be comparing it to what the men's IPL was back in 2008, 2007, I don't remember. But you should be comparing it to that. So back then, no one expected the, the Indian men's domestic players to, to be at the forefront of or be at the top of the run charts, at the top of the wiki takers lists. Everything was riding on the overseas internationals. And it was the same, in, I think, in the first couple of seasons of the WBBL. It was the same in the, in the first couple of seasons of the KSL, where it was the overseas internationals who were, who were bearing a brunt of that load. 
um, and it was only later on that the that the Indian men domestic players kind of started rising up the ranks and and you know becoming front and center or you know becoming the main uh, I suppose the the showstoppers. But so I think you need need to give the the women time, um, and you shouldn't be expecting that these domestic players will come out and and be the showstoppers in the first couple of seasons or even the first three seasons. Um, you put the onus on the overseas and say. This is a development tournament for us. Um, that's why we're investing in it. And we will find another Richa Ghosh. We will find another Meghna Singh because there's plenty of talent. And it's just about giving them the opportunity. It's just about um, seeing them in action. You think of someone like Indrani Roy, who you know blew up the domestic tournament last year. She was the highest run getter. She scored a 97 in the, uh, in the quarterfinal. Um, I think she, and she was picked for the Tour of England, didn't get a game. Um, and hasn't played since. Um, so, you know, I, th- I feel like it's just about giving these young women opportunity to play. And wasn't that the, the IPL tagline where talent meets opportunity? So that's exactly what we're Amen. asking for. Well, we're asking for an opportunity. So I think, you know, it, it's, it's past time. Yeah, where talent meets opportunity for men. Uh, so, so Laura, um, a, a lot of cricketers, um, you know, uh, not just the Indian women, but, you know, Australian w- women, uh, too, have spoken up in favor of um, having a women's IPL. I'm just curious, as someone who's covering the WBBL, uh, do you think there are any facets or features of the Big Bash League that the IPL can pick up, uh, especially in the context of a potential women's IPL? Um, yeah, I just think they need to not be afraid of the depth because, as Ananya said, that there wasn't the depth in Australian cricket when the WBBL started, particularly for the two Melbourne teams. Back then, they were less professional. There was a lot less movement of people branching out of their home states. Everyone basically signed up for the, the team where they lived. And there wasn't mm-hmm. that much depth in Victoria and both the Melbourne teams were, were pretty shallow and they went ahead anyway. And over the few years that followed that domestic talent really came through the fact that kids were in their teens watching the comp meant they stuck with cricket and then they graduated from junior cricket almost into the WBBL and the depth really quickly developed but you have to start you can't have the depth before you start the competition because you'll never get there and you just have to be they just need to not be afraid of the first few seasons being dominated by internationals and perhaps some of the people occupying spots in the 11 who may not be doing much batting or bowling but they'll learn and it'll come on really quick and just giving it exposure is really important we didn't have much of a tv deal for the first season I think there were only 10 games that were broadcast and no live streams so only some of it got seen Um, but in the next season they committed to live streaming all the matches which uh, I think was great for the exposure and it really got people watching and talking about the league a lot more. But yeah, I think basically the message just be just start it. <laughs> you can't wait any longer. You, you both are so right because I, I'm, I'm thinking back to 2007, 2008 and those first few years, the men's IPL was all about just the overseas players pulling their team through, like literally pulling them up by the sauce and just like carrying them through. Um, and I think it is only Rajasthan Royals at that time who had a very uh, heavy focus on developing um, Indian domestic players. And 
you know, now, uh, probably what, 13 years later, we are seeing, especially this recently concluded edition, showed how, you know, with so much exposure to some high quality cricket with and against uh, international players, both Indian and foreign, uh, you're seeing a lot more uh, Indian domestic players who seem to be ready for international cricket. They, they start playing international cricket and they just seem like they've been around for a while. And I think that's the same effect that a tournament like the WBBL has for uh, Australian cricketers when, when they make it to the international uh, arena. So I, all I will say and, that- Benny, I think, uh, let me cut you off and say one more thing. I, I think one thing you're forgetting is BCCI was even reluctant to send a T20 a World Cup team in 2007. Oh, yeah. So they've always yeah. been reluctant with change. They, they, at one point, they were the last team to agree to send a team to that World Cup. Then they didn't send Sachin Tendulkar, Ganguly, Dravid, the likes. And they said, hey, let's, let's send a young team because we don't really care about this format. And here we are today. So I think their reluctance is, is uh, not a new thing, but I think in this case, it's, it's an so obvious So it sounds one. like the Indian women have to win a World, uh, World Cup, essentially. For that to happen catch 22 <laughs> but my counter argument is if you win a world cup without doing all these things why do you need to do these things uh, <laughs> no easy answers i guess um laura i know you need to go um but i do want to thank you for your time and uh hopefully you come back and your video is working yeah i'm uh Obviously, it's a weekend here, so I can't get on to the IT people till Monday about this camera <laughs> issue, but I have really enjoyed the chat. Um, yeah, I love yeah. talking about all these topics, and it's just been so cool seeing such good cricket between Australia and India recently and, and now in the WBBL. Absolutely. Well, we hope to have you back again, and probably we'll talk more about the WBBL. Uh, but, Laura, thank you again so much for your time. No, thank you. Thanks, Laura. Uh, Ananya, I do have um, a question uh, about Smriti Mandana. Um, you know, after the series got over, Ramesh Power talked about identifying Smriti as a potential future captain. Um, I'm just curious on what basis do you identify future leaders? Is it just what they do on the field or is there some behind the scenes in terms of like, you know, they show that they're able to mentor uh, you know, more or less experienced players. Uh, how do you make a determination like that? Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, that's an interesting question. Uh, look, I, I think it, it, it's a combination of a lot of things. Um, one is, um, of course, you the, the person's performances and, and you know that they're kind of a surety in the team for the next while. Um, but I think the other thing, um, particularly about Smithy, um, that I've observed over the last seven or eight years is that um, people kind of gravitate towards her. Um, she's, she's very, very approachable. Um, she's kind of someone who uh, takes young, young players under, under her wing, um, even though she is very young herself. I think you look at, at people like Jamima Rodriguez and, and even Richard Ghosh for that matter, she's, she's kind of uh, taking them under her wing and um, talk, she talks a lot to them about their batting and, and um, you know, their game and, um, she is, I think, someone who, who uh, within that team can see the bigger picture. 
Um, she's very aware of, um, you know, that, that her performances and, and she's been like this ever since she was 18, 19, that she, she's very keen that her performances lead to, to wins for India, that um, she, she actually has a positive impact um, you know, on, on the team and, and the way it's playing. So I think there are a lot of things that go into, I suppose, identifying a future captain. But um, with, with regards to Smithy, I think it's one, she's, she's just very approachable. She is, she is someone who, uh, who people gravitate to, but she's also a very, very good reader of the game. Um, I think um, one of the thing, things, especially in, um, you know, over the last few years, that's, that's really stood out about her is the fact that some, she sometimes seem to, seems to be able to read the play before it actually, you know, happens, um, especially when she's batting. Um, and uh, also a lot of bowlers have, have spoken about how sometimes when she's standing at mid-off, mid-on, she comes to them and says, I think you can do this. I think she's shaping up to, to try and hit you maybe over cow corner or something. And so I, I think it's, it's a combination of a lot of things with her. She is and, and the reading of the game is something that she's developed over the last, say, four or five years. I think when she initially came in, she wasn't, um, she was very, very purely focused on her own batting and her own game. But um, over the last few years, especially since her involvement in the KSL and the WBL, um, just, mm -hmm. you know, working closely with people like Heather Knight, um, I think she's, she's kind of begun to expand her view of the game. And uh, that's one of the things that I think really stands out about her. Um, I'm also, uh, I was also wondering, do, are there any other alternatives anyway? <laughs> well, look, I think you could take a really left, I mean, uh, an, an out of the box suggestion would be Jamima. I think, you know, if you were to compare Smithy and Jamima purely as um, tacticians, I'd, I'd actually say Jamima is better. Um, having seen them in domestic cricket of, you know, even in her first year of, of captaining Mumbai, I think she was just 17 or 18. Um, Jemima seemed to be able to, to understand angles, understand matchups um, very, very quickly. Um, and uh, it's, I, I don't know if it's a Mumbai thing, but uh, yeah, she, she's just very, very smart um, when it comes to on-field tactics and, and decisions. Um, but yeah, I, I think otherwise they're probably not uh, too many alternatives. And you know, right now um, Smithy seems the only obvious choice. I'm a little disappointed that Ananya, in spite of being team bowler, did not pick a bowler to to as a suggestion. Look, I, I, I like... would have. I I'm not sure which of those bowlers is is very. Uh, the current bowlers in, in the crop, I'm, I'm not convinced any of them would make great captains. That's the issue. It also goes back to what you want in a captain. I, I think all the attributes that you just mentioned from Mandana and uh, Jamima, that it, it does seem or sound like that's what you would need. Because a lot of, especially when it comes to Indian captaincy, it's not just about on field. You have to manage everything off the field too. And you need strong personalities and i'm just thinking and, and, and as far as jamima is concerned i feel like she's not a certainty in the playing 11 though at the moment i think that's going to be a big hindrance um but i guess it, it, we're, we're talking about things down the road because for now i guess harman Preet is going to be the probably the next in line for the the test so um, I, I think the other question we kind of talked about Jamima a little bit, and and it's interesting because we've seen 
flashes of brilliance in the hundred, um, even in her India career, um, but not the consistency that we would have liked. Um, so what are your thoughts about um, how she's shaping up? Are there any uh, obvious technical things that she needs to work on or is it just a bit of luck and um, you know maybe a little bit of application? Um, look, I, I think the thing with with players like Jimmy Maradigs is one, you need to understand that she played like two seasons of domestic cricket before she was um, brought into the Indian team. So she's also still kind of figuring out her game um, at the, and it, unfortunately it's at the international level. Um, you know, uh, you need to take into consideration that, that she is again only 21 um, kind of um well, I think, I guess, working, um, you know, trying to figure out what kind of player she is, um, you know, all those things. And uh, she has said that over the last year, she's been able to, to kind of work through a lot of issues that she's had, both technically and mentally. And I think one of the things with, with Rodriguez is she's a huge confidence player. And if she knows that you're backing her, um, she's, it, it, it obviously brings out the best in a lot of players, but she she just seems to blossom um, when 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 she knows that you've got her back. And you know, think back to that series against Sri Lanka in twenty eighteen. It was where Harmanpreet Kaur just went to her and said, "You're going to play the next five games. Of, you're going to play the entire World Cup. So I just want you to to kind of go out there and and enjoy yourself." And I think in that game, she was she became the first Indian to hit three consecutive sixes in an over. Um, she scored 37 of 15 deliveries or something, went into the World Cup, scored, scored a half century in the first game. So um, she's a huge confidence player. And I feel like sometimes um, it's when, when she's unsure of, of what the captain wants from her or, or what her place in the team is. Uh, I think she she really struggles, um, but she again she does have a few technical issues. Again, I think she sorted them out. She she had a huge issue. I think she was a big LBW candidate early on, um, especially in that twenty nineteen. She really struggled against the ball coming in, but I think that's something that she's really worked on. She's driving a lot better down the ground. Um, but yeah, with her, she's she's still figuring out her game. Very young player, so I'm sure you know with with a bit more time, she'll she'll be much more consistent. I think I think that's a great point because I I feel like not a lot of people understand that because, um, and you know, not a lot of youngsters who, especially ones who go through domestic cricket very quickly, they've really only seen success, and and so when one day, once they're weaknesses are exposed or their role in the team, you know, nationally is not the same as their domestic team, um, then trying to understand and adjust to that role is, is a definitely a challenge. And I think we'll probably see a little bit of that with Richa Ghosh and Shefali Verma as well. And it's, um, and I think for Shefali Verma, luckily we've sort of accepted that she's going to play a certain type of role. So she has that liberty, which is great, but I think any youngster in general will probably take some time to really understand her game and and be okay with you know not getting as many chances and expected expected positions and and so on. She also seems to be the rare Indian cricketer who fields well. Um, <laughs> this is not a dig at the Indian women, but I remember watching highlights of you know some of the games, and I was thinking so many dropped catches and misfields. Do you think that's also down to just lack of game time or like 
what is it? What is the issue behind? And I, I don't know if it's very specific to Indian women, but I'm I'm only watching games with Indian women. Uh, do you think that's just a more women's cricket thing, or is that just isolated to Indian women? Um, I think uh, I'm going to speak um, purely from an Indian point of view. One of the things is, uh, uh, I think the way we train. Um, it's it's all about your your bowling and your batting. Um, a lot of the training is. Uh, around your skill set um, and, and fielding is kind of an afterthought. So, you know, generally how states train is, you know, you have, say, a two-hour, three-hour net session. And after that, you go in and, and have like a 15, 20-minute fielding session. Um, and you think about it, the bowlers are going to be very tired. Um, batters usually if not tired, not going to be interested at the end of that long session. So, you know, the intensity during those sessions is usually not uh, as high as it should be. Um, so, uh, of course, these are things that are changing, but I think that the general way that, that um, you know, you train or we have trained over the years in India is just um, fielding is kind of an afterthought. It's not something that you specifically work on um so it's only you know the the, the top teams um you think of, of railways have like very specific um sessions where, where each fielder trains in in their specific uh, fielding positions um i think some of actually some of the lower rung teams are, are some of the best fielding teams think of kerala um you know Mumbai is okay, but Gujarat, they're all very, very good fielding teams because they train very specifically. Um, but, you know, if you generally look at the way Indian teams train, it's long net sessions, maybe 20 minutes of fielding with very low intensity. Um, and, and of course, that kind of translates into, you know, international cricket. You, your, your best players or your best batters usually aren't your best fielders because they're generally batting for an hour, an hour and a half in the nets and they come into your fielding session and not very interested. Um, so I think it's an attitude thing that's slowly beginning to change. Um, and I think with people like Jamima, with Smriti, having been involved in these leagues, they understand the importance of, of fielding and, and how much that can um, change uh, the dynamic of a game. But it's, it's a very slow transition in India. So I think that's the issue. Like many things, it seems like this is where probably Indian men were probably like 20 years ago. So um, I guess we just got to be more patient, which isn't always easy because, you know, as Indian cricket or especially Indian women's cricket gets more and uh, more, you know, they get better. There's also increased focus or increased scrutiny, um, especially as more fans start following um, the women's game. And these are fans after years of watching the men's game and the standards and the expectations and suddenly it's all transferred into women and we expect the same and when we see that it, it's very easy to be harsh on them you know for every misfield for every drop catch for every dismissal which could be dismissed as oh another careless dismissal and we kind of talked about this last time too is where do we draw the line between encouraging um the players and just saying, okay, good job. You may have lost, but good job versus, well, there has to be some accountability that you have to do a lot better and you need to be able to take criticism. Um, so in that respect, do you think this encourages players to be, you know, from a player perspective, just this kind of scrutiny on them, not just from, uh, 
you know, critics, like journalists or as such, but especially the fans, um, do you think the players take that seriously? Does that affect them? Um, what, what, how does the, what is the impact on them? I'm, I'm sure it affects them and I'm sure they, they, um, they take it on board. Um, look, I think uh, just looking back at, at the India-Australia series specifically, I mean, it feels like a, a series of what could have been for India. Um, right. you, know, you know, had the one percenters gone their way, um, you know, maybe they could have, have finished on, you know, on the winning side. Um, but yeah, I feel like I'm going to repeat what I said last time, but uh, it, it, it is a case of, uh, I think, they are taking a lot of these things on board and, and I know a lot of the players are hurt by the fact that they're constantly getting targeted for, you know, not um, being quick enough or not being athletic, athletic enough or just not looking the part uh, on the field. Um, and there is, um, they, they are putting in a lot of work, but like you said, I think it, it requires a bit of patience that, um, you know, as, as a fan, like you said, I think it's hard to, to be patient, especially when, uh, you know, when you're comparing this team to, to the men's team right now. Um, it's And it's hard not to, let's be honest. Um, you're not going to think of the Indian team in, in the early 2000s and say, okay, the women's team is like that. You're, you're always going to look at what, what the men's team is right now and, and kind of be disappointed with with where the Indian women are. And I think that that's absolutely fine. And, and, I'm, and I know that these that the women in this team are hurt by the fact that they aren't able to, to get over the line. Um, and I've heard Smriti uh, say this as well, that, you know, it's great that people say, oh, they fought and, oh, we were very close. But at the end of the day, we want to win too. So, you know, it, it hurts more that we were that close and, and we couldn't do it. And, and we understand that we need to make these changes. But um, it does take time for those changes to take effect. Um, and, and like I said, I think with, with the team that was in Australia, uh, it did feel like we were probably playing with five fielders, um, and one of whom was 12th. Um, but uh, I think the other thing is, like I said, with when, when you pull out players from domestic cricket because they don't actively train to be good fielders, um, you know, people who've been in the system for a long time, like Meghna Singh, Renu Khatakur, are not going to be your best movers on the field, even though their skills as bowlers are high quality and, and can get them into the 11, then they're always going to be maybe a minus five in the field. So uh, those are things I feel like India need to account for when they bat, especially that, um, you know, if, if we score 250, we have to, you know, feel like we, have, like we scored 230. Um, but yeah, I mean, the players are working on it. I know that they've had like, before they came to Australia, they had specific, like, they, they fielded under lights, they had training sessions under lights, they did um, a lot of work uh, with the fielding coach, but it will take time to show, and you hope by the time the World Cup rolls around that, you know, some of these roles are passed, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's uh, important to understand that effort does not always show in result, and I, I feel like a lot of fans, you know, forget that. I, I, I've seen, even for the men's team, for that matter, I've seen a drop catch and then people will be tweeting, oh yeah, Arshri, there's always on Ashwin's podcast. I'm like, that's got nothing to do with anything. You know, it, it doesn't mean that they're not putting in all the efforts because they, you know, 
drop, I don't know, 10% of the catches. And, and, you know, they're generally a pretty high standard team. So, I mean, the same applies to any other team. And I, I feel like the patience is definitely important. But um, at the same time, I think we need to start expecting better coaching standards and especially the young ones. I, as, as, you know, Ananya was saying, like you're not going to expect a 30-year-old or nearly 30-year-old Snerana to, to suddenly be, you know, top level if she's not been practicing that for 10 years. But I think we should now hopefully start seeing in the next five years the younger players that are Chagosh and well, that's a bad example because she's a wicket keeper, but, <laughs> but all the other young players like Jemima uh, to be, you know, fit, to be capable and, and consistent in the, in the field. I was going to say that we will be optimistic. Um, it can only get better from here. Uh, so as we wrap it up, uh, I'll throw uh, this last question to you, Ananya. Um, overall, the Australian tour, uh, do you think the Indian women got out of it what they wanted? Would they be disappointed um, overall? Uh, what, what is the take? Um, I think they will be disappointed because, again, it was a series of what could have been. But um, I do think they got out of it what they, what they would have wanted because after that England tour, they were talking about the lack of pace depth. They seem to have found a group of, of three or four seamers who can, um, you know, uh, support Julian Goswami. I think for India, one of the biggest things to emerge from that tour was, was how consistent Pooja Vastakar was. Um, because I think, uh, you know, just her development through this tour is going to be very, very important for India in terms of, you know, just giving them a bit of flexibility because I've always thought that she was a better batter than she is a bowler. Um, and so for, for her just to show discipline and consistency with the ball, um, through the entire series, through all the formats, was was a huge plus for India. And I think she's going to play an important role as a third seamer going into that World Cup. So who they pick to partner Goswami, whether it's Pandey, whether it's Meghna Singh, um, I think Pooja Vastakar's uh, performance through the series is a big pick. Um, and I'm sure with the batting group as well, they, they feel like they've, they've ticked a few boxes, um, you know, just bringing in Vijagosh and power in the middle, lower middle order. Um, I think uh, she, she needs to do a lot of work as a, as a keeper um, because she's she's nowhere near where Tanya Bhatia is. But uh, I, I think her, her addition kind of adds some power that, that they need in that lower middle order. And it also gives them a sense of flexibility with the batting order because she can bat at four if required. She, she also bats at six for Bengal, so she knows what's required in that role. Um, so I feel like they, 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 they're obviously going to come out of the series with um, a lot of boxes ticked, but I, I'm sure they'll be disappointed, you know, just because they were so close um, to beating Australia a couple of times. They definitely can be proud because, you know, this Australian side is a very good side and uh, disappointments aside, I think they, they gave it their best. And sometimes that's all, you know, you can ask for. Well, Ananya, thank you so much once again for coming on our podcast. Um, you know, it's always great talking to you and, uh, you know, uh, the next assignment, or I should say the next big uh, thing is obviously the World Cup, and we hope to get more insights from you then. Thank you for having me again. It's great fun. Thanks, Anya. Well, that's it for this episode of The Last Wicket. Thanks again to Ananya and Laura for joining us and sharing their thoughts on an exciting time for women's cricket in India and Australia. 
Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this conversation, do rate and subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes. Follow us on your social media feeds and leave us a voice message if you would like to share your thoughts with us. Thank you for listening. And from all of us here at The Last Wicket, stay safe and stay healthy.